0: Psychologist Dr. Henry Cloud once shared an image, and if you're at home, you can see this image on your screen now, and if you're here with me in the sanctuary, you can turn to the back of your worship guide and see it on the back of your worship guide. It's a fascinating image of four microscopic pictures of different kinds of tears. Each each different because each one in its molecular structure is different. One of them you see is onion tears. Another one is laughing tears. Then we have tears of change and tears of grief. Each different because their function is different. Their structure is different. Isn't that wild? It is to me. But Dr. Cloud says this actually makes sense, that their structure would be different because their function is different. It it seems crazy, and yet in some ways it isn't. Cloud says that different kinds of tears are both different and the same. They're different in function and structure depending on the kind of emotion they're carrying, and yet they're the same and that they're all flowing from or carrying a particular kind of emotional experience. Tears come to us as they have today and many other times over the past 20 months as a way of expressing things we are metabolizing in our lives. So we metabolize nutrients and food, right? We also metabolize emotions, in our hearts and minds and souls. So each tier is different because each tier is doing its own work, carrying the experience you're going through while also helping you go through it. So the question he raises then is how are or why are they different? Well, (laughs) he postulates that Number one, onion tears are the tears of something that are invading our system. Something that doesn't belong there. It's it's toxic, so we reject it. Our body chemistry says, go away. Get get out of here. You're not making me feel good. We're, We're wired in this way, he says, to know what's toxic to us. What burns us. What we want to get out of us. It can be the poison of a person, a group, almost any experience, or even the smell of a cut onion. Any experience that has a toxic effect on our system is going to feel not good to us. Our body wants to get it out, to get rid of those, those toxins. So this is a natural response. By the way... What toxins in your life might you need to cry out right now? Secondly, there are tears of change. And tears of change represent a different kind of pain. The pain rips at us in different ways as it pushes up against the patterns and, and structures that, that, that we're trusting in to hold us intact in our lives, the ways we're doing life. The maps that we formed in our life for negotiating ourselves and, and the ways that we engage others. Change means we have to take in new data, new information, new ways of being. The old frames and walls are ripped out of our older buildings as we begin trying to remodel the houses of our lives. If you've ever been through a remodeling effort, you may know what this is like. You know what it's like unless you have somebody like Ken Personette doing it for you because you've been through this in your own home where it's dusty and it's, it's messy and it becomes loud and painful and sometimes you get out of sorts because you can't figure out where anything goes or even, even what to do with the things you used to know what to do with. Does any of this sound familiar? Change can be daunting and disturbing and difficult, and at the same time, it can also stretch you in new ways, forming in you new abilities and capabilities, bringing you to new heights as these new muscles for adaptation are formed in you. Things that weren't seen before. Does any of this sound familiar? Have you experienced anything like this over the past 12 to 20 months? Change can be both incredibly painful and incredibly good. Because you know, change is a basic component of growth. We cannot grow without change and we cannot change without growing pains. And so we might wonder, what kind of painful change do you need to lean into right now with an openness and a readiness for tears to do their work? Cloud also gives us a picture of laughing tears, which are probably our favorite. Because uh, what, what is laughter but a spontaneous expression of joy and gratitude and goodness? You're, you're taking in some kind of positive experience or emotion or even a joke that, that makes your life seem a little bit lighter, at least for a moment. Your body releases the energy of that joy and the tears are carrying that message with them. Another interesting tidbit about tears, by the way, is that they can release a chemical from our body that is known to cause depression, internally lightening our load. So tears, although we don't often give ourselves permission for them, are good for us. The energy they release is your body letting go. And so it's good for us to embrace them, to embrace the tears from toxicity. To embrace the tears from change, to embrace tears from laughter, and to especially embrace the tears of grief, which can be an incredibly healing emotion if we'll allow ourselves to fully enter into it. Grief says that you have lost something that you were attached to, something you were invested in, something you depended on, and most often something or someone that you loved. Dr. Cloud says the message often implicit in tears of grief is it's gone. I have to let it go. These tears are doing important work. They are taking the pain of letting go from our system. They are helping you value the person or the thing that you have lost. They are reinforcing the power of love, reminding us never to forget the importance of that person or that investment that we've made with our heart. While at the same time, they are making space for new investments, creating creating room for you to, to bring about new things for life, to bring some new investment of heart into your heart. And Dr. Cloud says that this dance of valuing the past and holding on to what is good from it, while also making room for our heart's next Chapter is some of the best work of grief. And so I wonder, after this season of so much loss in so many ways, what do you need to name? What loss do you need to name so that grief can do its healing work in you? What I really want us to do and to experience today is that the act of grieving, of fully entering into the grieving process over things little and large that we've lost, is a gift from God. A gift from God. God has wired us up for grief because God has wired us up for love. And the act of entering fully into our grief is a gift from God given to us to help us process the love and the other significant losses in our lives. It is as healing as it is uncomfortable because of the way it unravels us. And by the way, grief's unraveling of us is also a holy process. This is why I begin every funeral or memorial service that I officiate with a word of permission or invitation to grieve. You've probably heard this before. Where there is grief, there is God. Where there is God, there is grace. Where there is grace, there is gratitude. Please know that every emotion you're feeling right now the joy and the sadness, the laughter and the tears, it all belongs. God and your loved ones are honored by all of it. And I do this because many humans and many Christians do not give themselves permission to grieve and to grieve fully. How many How many of you have noticed you or someone you love in a time of grief? minimizing or sidestepping the grief. Miriam Greenspan has said there is a spiritual bypassing that some people do in times of grief. They use religion or faith to numb out to their grief. Oh, it's painful. But I know other people have it worse. Yes, And no. Stop it. Yes, other people do go through hard things every single day, but you've got to take a minute to stop comparing your hard things to other people's hard things and just be present to the pain and the loss that you are feeling right now. God wants you to experience the holy gift of grief. Don't minimize it. How many times have you heard yourself or someone else say in the, le- in the wake of losing a loved one, well, I'm sad, but I know I really shouldn't be because I know where they are. Yes, you do know where they are. And one of the places they are is not with you. Not with you. We can celebrate the hope that we have for our loved ones and ourselves in Jesus, while also simultaneously lament the loss of losing them. Both are healing and both are holy. We need to have permission to do this. We need to give ourselves permission to do this because so often, for so many different reasons, we don't have the gift that the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 34 were given in the midst of their grief. See, what we see here in Deuteronomy chapter 34 and the passage Connie read a moment ago is that in the wake of losing one of the greatest leaders and, and loved ones in their history, these people weren't just given permission to grieve, but an expectation to grieve. The expectation for grieving then actually created the space for them to fully enter into the holy process of grief, a space that was absolutely necessary. For them to move forward in holy and healing ways. Did you notice that after Moses died, they didn't just grieve, they didn't just just grieve for a day or a moment or two, but they grieved for thirty days? Did you see that? This wasn't just This wasn't just because they they loved him and they started crying and they just couldn't help it. They just didn't stop crying for thirty days. No, that's not what happened. No. It was an expectation. In Deuteronomy 34, these Hebrews didn't need permission to grieve because it was baked into their ritual and practice. It was expected. Now we, we know a little bit about this in slivers. We know a little bit about feeling permission to grieve at funerals or memorial services. We're okay maybe crying or feeling the the, the freedom to fall apart a little bit in those moments because it's expected. It's okay, not for too long, but in those moments it's okay, we think. We kind of get this, this permission, this space that expectation gives us in other situations as well. For instance... For instance, it would seem weird on any given Wednesday to put ashes in the sign of the cross on our forehead. And yet, Ash Wednesday gives us the space and the permission to enter into the holy practice of penitence because it's expected. We've made space for it. We've said it's okay. We've had services here from time to time that may seem a little awkward to some, and we talk about healing and wholeness and, and the gift of God and healing. At the end of those services, sometimes we offer space for people to come forward for prayer and to be anointed with oil, which would seem a little weird most of the time, even those times. And yet we know the, the line between awkward and sacred is often so very thin. And so we do it, and we experience the healing power of it because we've made space for it. Something similar has happened with the placing of these roses today and the chiming of these names. And the great expectation that these people would embrace their grief for 30 days is what gave them, enabled them the power to fully experience it. We don't usually do this, and we don't We don't actually know what they did for those 30 days, but we do know what Jewish people have traditionally done to engage in certain kinds of practices of grief over that period. Often, over this 30-day period, it begins with a seven-day period called Shiva, where there is a a burial and meals and scripture and dirges and, and music and wailing and tears and sometimes a shaving of head and lending of garments and tearing of clothes. I mean, you've probably seen this maybe in films or you've been to a funeral where you've seen people laying on the casket, screaming and wailing. There's a permission and a space for this here. Friends and family engage in this way to confront and move through their grief. And then the Shiva is a, is a seven-day period at the beginning of a 30-day period called the Sheloshim, And during that 30-day period, they're expected to go through practices that help them move from being enveloped by sadness to re-entering the world beyond it. And what we see here, and in other places in Scripture, is that this is not a time that was meant to be spent in isolation, but in community. Something that we so desperately need to, but we don't often give ourselves permission for. Actually... Henry Cloud closed his little post about the tears with this kind of odd observation. I thought this was interesting. He said, have you ever wondered why your tear ducts are in your eyes instead of your armpits? No, I have not. But he says, if they were in your armpits, you could probably use some sort of anti-tear deodorant so that no one would see them or or smell them or even know you were in pain. And we would like that, but God put our tear ducts in our eyes for a reason. Because your pain and your tears should be seen by someone who loves you and can companion with you in that pain. Your pain needs to be seen and loved and met with compassion in order to be completely healed. This is something we see happening in Scripture in places like this and in science as well. In fact, several years ago, I was attending a week-long seminar with Dr. Henry Cloud and his partner, Dr. John Townsend. And they shared a truth and a practice that that has come from research that the military has done with uh, soldiers, patients who were struggling with PTSD. And, And they are finding through this research... That it is also a practice that can be powerfully healing for us as well as we deal with the suffering and the pain and the trauma and the loss in our own lives. And what they shared is, and I know I'll botch this a little bit because I'm not a psychologist or a neuroscientist, um, but what they shared is is that what sometimes happens when we're going through, uh, when we've gone through a trauma or a significant grief or some sort of significant painful experience is that the experience gets stuck in the neuropathways of our brain. And, And it gets stuck between present experience and memory. It never moves from present experience completely into memory. So here's what that can look like, if you were wondering. Let's say you have a soldier who served in Afghanistan or Iraq or somewhere like that. And they've come home, and and there's someone who's struggling with PTSD. And they're walking down the streets of Seattle or Kansas City or New York, and all of a sudden there's a car that backfires. And as soon as that car backfires, they hit the deck. Not just with their body, but with their emotions and their mind and their memory. They go back to that place as if what was happening back there and then is happening right here and now to them. The car backfire, it was, it was as if a bomb was going off or they were under gunfire in that very moment. It was as if it was happening presently, as a present experience. And this can be true in our lives, they found, with smaller traumas as well. It's much harder to pick up on with the smaller ones. But what they're finding is there is a practice in therapy that you can go through that will help those moments that are stuck become unstuck and move from present experience into memory. And here's what that looks like. They share about that experience with an empathetic listener who understands them and communicates love and understanding to them. Not an not a advice-giving listener, Not someone like Job's friends who tell them what they should be feeling or what they should be doing or how they should be working through it, but but a person who sits there knowingly and empathetically and takes it in and listens with them and understands that experience and gives them love and compassion. And then in the midst of being understood, this is what happens next. They weep. They cry. Tears of pain and grief and suffering. And once they do, the experience moves from present into memory. It doesn't go away. They remember it. It's a part of them. But the power and the space that it's been taking up in their lives begins to dissipate. This works for soldiers struggling with PTSD, and it can work for us as well because it points us to something wholly and healing. Now, there's usually more than one trauma in our lives. We've been talking about accumulation through this series. Usually there's more than one grief, there's more than one trauma, there's more than one experience that is accumulated in our mind and our memory and our soul. So the process doesn't just start with the sharing of it, but it actually starts with the creation of a loss inventory. And what they invite you to do is, is to basically go from your very earliest memory of life as a child and begin to name in a loss inventory traumas, losses, and griefs that you have experienced. To maybe write those out in a, in a word or a sentence or a phrase. And you go through each one until you get to the present moment. When I did this, I had about 40 of them, Okay. And then what they do after they make that loss inventory is that that experience I described for you a minute ago, they find an empathetic listener and they go through them one, it may not in the same day, probably not in the same day, one at a time they work through the loss inventory. And We have to give ourselves permission for this kind of practice as well. We eventually have to find others that will help us with this, like, like Stephen ministers, folks who handed out our roses that are going to offer an opportunity for prayer for us later, like counselors, trusted mentors, knowing and truly empathetic loved ones. Now, there's a skill to this that can make it even better or worse. But before we do that, we've got to name and acknowledge our losses. And that is what I want to invite you to begin doing right now. There's a litany of lament in our worship guide. And we're going to do this together as a way of getting us thinking about those things that we've lost over the last, really, 20 months. We need to name and to grieve those losses. It can be so healing. And so what we've done, so at the beginning of this service, we've named and chimed the names of loved ones we've lost, and that is so significant. And, and, there are other things we've lost too, haven't we? Experiences, graduation celebrations, parties, relationships, jobs, dreams, finances. Routines, mental health, stability, worship experiences, vacations we were looking forward to, time with people we loved. We've lost and we've lost and we've lost and we've lost over these past 20 months. And what I want you to know is that grieving well can create a pathway to renewal. We need to name and grieve those losses. So what we're going to do is we're going to to enter into this litany of lament together. It's not the one we've already done. It's this next one. And then what you'll notice is that in the middle of it, there's space for you to name your losses. So when we enter into that space, there's going to be a few moments where music's playing. And I, I just want to invite you to take that moment to name some of the things And You you could go back to birth if you wanted to, but right now I'm thinking about the last 20 months. Some of the things you've lost. Make a a loss inventory. And then when the music stops, we'll finish the litany with a word of hope and then continue to worship being guided by our song of response. So please join with me in this holy space as we say together this litany of lament. God... Our hearts are weary, broken, and sad. Sorrow follows us. Pain travels with us on the road. Sickness fills our homes and hospitals. Healthcare workers and first responders are weary and exhausted as suffering and death have become daily realities. Families and friends mourn. Relationships are strained or broken. Ways of life are forever changed. We have limited ourselves from human touches, from hugs or handshakes, from unmasked smiles. We have missed milestones, milestone celebrations, vacations, and dinner conversations with friends. Our schedules have shifted. Our travel has been limited. Our meetings happen on screens. Some of us feel covered under a shade of darkness, Depression, anxiety, distress, and sorrow have become constant companions. We remember what is missing, what has been altered, the things longed for. We pause now to name our losses, to acknowledge our anger, our fatigue, our sadness, or our fear. May the naming of our losses rise to you as prayer, O God. During this moment of silence, guided by music as well, please take this space to name your losses as they come to you. Yet in all of this, O God, we are reminded how far we have come by faith alone. We realize what is most precious, the values that we have recovered, the spaces we experience anew. We find in solidarity and generosity with each other the wisp of hope gleaned from seeking what really matters most in this life the treasure of every encounter we experienced with you, O God. Through our tired trudging, our cheeks damp with tears, we catch a glimpse of your presence, your love, your comfort in the hearts and souls of those around us as we remember that we do not walk alone. Give us the strength that we need to continue the journey of faith together.